0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays
1: from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We've been following the story of Kenneth, and very rarely in talk radio is there a conversation that you wish you weren't having. I will speak with Megan Walker any day, any time. If Megan calls, I'm going to answer the phone. But, Megan, this is a conversation that that I didn't want to have to have. Um, how you doing?
2: Oh, it's been a brutal 24 hours. You put um, so much faith in people sometimes to do the right thing, forgetting that many times they don't know the difference between right and wrong. And regrettably, uh, at around 3.30 yesterday afternoon, I was sent a picture of a plane taking off. Um, from the uh, Wayne County Airport in uh, Texas and it was on its way to Cameroon with a number of passengers, um, uh, you know, and and they have now landed. Um, Kenneth was one of those passengers and like many of the passengers, they had outstanding appeals before the courts. Some had, um, you know, recommendations of stay, of deportation, All of that was thrown in the garbage just to get rid of um, Africans, which is what Donald Trump has wanted. So it's just been a horrific 24 hours. Um, I, I, I am absolutely overwhelmed by the support of London, Ontario, through your show, Mike, the number of emails and phone calls we've had. It's just been astronomical. Still, people wanting to know what they can do. Um, so thank you and a real big uh, shout out to London, Ontario that continues to look out for those who, um, you know, are seeking a, a better life for themselves. And um, I can just tell you that we're not finished and uh, we have likely lost some pretty valuable human beings um, by sending that plane back. We're going to continue to try to find out who was on that plane and see if we can have it any sort of track them in any way to see if they have survived or not. Um, specifically Kenneth, who really represented um, this incredible issue. Um, and we are going to continue when all, you know, the next set of uh, immigrants comes into the United States to um, request asylum status. We're going to help them as well. It's just absolutely incredible to me. On top of the sadness of losing these incredible individuals who had so much to contribute, who were, um, be, will be persecu- persecuted for no other reason than the fact they protested for Anglophone rights. Um, but I'm really disappointed in my government. And, you know, I've always prided myself of being a Canadian. I've always said Canadians stand together. Um, and we do. But in this circumstance, our government didn't stand with the people. And um, they chose not to intervene um, because of excuses like, well, the U.S. is a sovereign nation and we can't intervene. And for me, when there is a known human rights violation, we have a responsibility as a government to intervene. When, when we know that 90 people are being sent back to their country they fled to be killed... We have a responsibility to intervene. And I'll never forget the email I received from an MP. I sent um, a request that please help us at least get an interview with Border Services so um, Kenneth can be taken off that plane again. And um, the response was Kenneth and all deportees or all uh, immigrants can just walk to Border Services. They don't need an invitation. And I said, Kenneth is behind bars and ice and about to board a plane. How can he possibly walk and claim asylum status? And do you know that without an invitation, he will go to his death? And I'm just still nothing. And, you know, not, uh, for me, n- no human being is dispensable or disposable. We need every human being that wants to come to our country um, to, to be able to come and make a contribution and and become, you know, a, a citizen of what I still believe, notwithstanding what this government has done, is one of the best countries in the world to live. Um, I, I just don't even know what to say. It's been emotional. It's been just heart-wrenching. And um, I'm anxious to hear where everybody is that was on that plane.
1: Well, here's hoping that we can find that out. And, you know, Megan, everybody who has been following this story has been hoping for a miracle. Maybe there's still a miracle out there somewhere. He escaped once from being captive and and imprisoned in Cameroon. Who knows? Maybe it can happen again. But the fact that so many people stepped up and and contributed in the way that they did at least should count for something, and you have spearheaded that from the beginning. So, Megan, thank you for caring as much as you do about people. It, uh, it is rare, and I hope you know that, that, that not everybody has that kind of compassion. You do, so thank you for having that in everything that you do. And here's hoping that we, we still do hear something miraculous come out of this, but it's uh, it's one of those stories that none of us are going to forget ever.
2: You're amazing. And, of course, the biggest miracle would be if the Canadian government would um, next time intervene earlier so that we can save lives. And you're fantastic. I so appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you, Mike.
1: We'll do it again about uh, another story in the future, Megan. Keep making right. a difference, all right?
2: Uh, thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. That's Megan Walker. it's oh, not the outcome. That's not the outcome. Uh, we've said it for the last two days in a row. It's too easy to die on this planet. Way too easy, especially in a pandemic. And uh, somebody didn't get something done. And I'm not sure who it is, but I'm not even sure that they'll have sleepless nights over it. I don't know. I doubt it. You have to think they, they might. Yesterday being Remembrance Day, had a very different feel to it. And London Mayor Ed Holder had tweeted out a picture of 2019 and 2020. You may have seen pictures contrasting what Ottawa usually looks like with their really large Remembrance Day service. And there was something that we talked about with Historica Canada, and it was part of their poll results, that 71% of Canadians think Remembrance Day ceremonies will become smaller as time progresses and the last surviving veterans of the Second World War are no longer with us. We've had conflicts since then. We've had wars since then. We've had peacekeeping missions since then that Canada has been a part of. However, the First World War and the Second World War have always been real focal points of Remembrance Day, obviously. And... So the question came up, and we talked about this at various times throughout the show yesterday, how do we get the message through to young people? Because Historica Canada has done a great job with the Memory Project, capturing veterans, telling their stories, bringing about their accounts. We talked with Ted Barris yesterday, who is an author, a historian, a journalist, a speaker, and he has written all kinds of books about Canadian history, about the Korean War, about World War Two, about medics in the war. His dad was a medic. And those exist. But how do you get young people to truly appreciate what this was like? Because for young people, if you say, what's war like? It's not too long before they say, well, it must be like Call of Duty. Must be just like, call- I, I play war games. I know what war is like. Call of Duty. And that's not quite it. And somehow we have to make that divide but at the same time still provide that opportunity to learn. And Call of Duty, sure. I mean there there are elements of it. Call of Duty created a world war title at one point. But when we're looking at how do we how do we get this through? How do we teach people about what Canada's role was, it's difficult because you can't just toss a book onto a bed and have a young person say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll dig into this. Yeah, I'll get right to that. You can't just say, here is the information. You are going to learn this and you are going to know it and you'll be tested on it in history class. That, again, doesn't have the same grasp. So something that is happening right now, not too far away from here, is fascinating, because Hamilton-based video game developer Andrew Spearin, who also works at Mohawk College, has teamed up with Microprose Canada. Remember Microprose? They are still going. And Andrew has created this standalone project called Valiant Effort. And Ted talked to us about it yesterday when we spoke with Ted Barris. He says, you've got to find this guy. It's amazing. So guess what? We've found this guy, and he's amazing. Andrew Spearin joins us right now on London Live. Andrew, thanks for taking some time for us. No problem, Mike. How are you doing? Not too bad. So let's talk about the creation of Valiant Effort and what this game is about. Because when people think games of war, video games that involve war, Call of Duty is going to be the first thing that comes up. What were you trying to do in creating Valiant Effort?
0: Well, um, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier where, uh, you know, you can't throw a book at someone and say, learn from this, Uh, especially the younger generations uh, are, you know, immersing themselves in video games on a daily basis. And I think that's just the most amazing tool we have to reach uh, closer to what the reality was for these veterans. And in particular, uh, you know, those of the RCAF and, and serving in Bomber Command who had such a unique role and, you know, one that frankly, we should not repeat uh, again in history is the, the mass bombing campaigns on, on entire cities and, and factories and, and military installations. So uh, I think that it's just a wonderful opportunity to tell the story and to carry on the legacy for these veterans that, frankly, I grew up uh, on Remembrance Day parades for so many years, playing the bagpipes and being a part of the Army. And uh, I've watched the the ranks of the veterans dwindle over the years, and I've had the chance to you know, shake their hands and thank them, but in a few years from now, they're are not going to be around. So this is kind of my way to pay tribute to them and and ensure that their legacy will live on.
1: Andrew, you are someone who served in the military yourself. Can you take us through that?
0: Sure. Well, uh, just I developed a fascination with it for, as a kid. Um, I think the bagpipes was the major influence of it. I started learning. Uh, to play the pipes at 10 years old and was taught by uh, an Argyle veteran, Jack Craig, and his brother was, uh, you know, the pipe major of the Argyles and in the war and all this stuff. So um, I learned and heard all these stories over the years and I just had the curiosity. And and so that led me into the cadets. And then that led me straight into the reserves. As soon as I turned 16, before I even got a driver's license, I went to the recruiting office and and enlisted. So uh, I had the the unique experience of, of conducting basic training for, eight weeks between grade 10 and grade 11 and, and came back, certainly changed. You grow up pretty quick uh, becoming a soldier. And, and so uh, I also learned to understand what the responsibility of, of wearing the uniform is all about. And um, I served for about five years until 2007 when it sort of hit a crossroads of what do I do with my life? Do I go to school? Uh, do I go to Afghanistan? What, what's the path? So ultimately, uh, um, I'm ultimately for my family's uh, Sake. I, I did not go to Afghanistan, and I decided to go to school uh, and pursue photojournalism, and also uh, got into the games industry as well. So,
1: we are talking right now with Andrew Spearin, and we're talking about his standalone project, which is called Valiant Effort, which is something that will allow you to experience what it was like to to fly. Now, you've been able to talk with. Actual veterans who have flown Lancaster's—what was that like, and how key was that in order to kind of make this game?
0: Well, it's it's an amazing opportunity to be able to you know meet, uh, in particular, Bob Middleton, uh, now who is a navigator with uh, four three one squadron during the war, and he survived thirty three operations, uh, you know, from nineteen forty four to nineteen forty five, and and like I said, these vets are so. few, few and far between these days that um, I was just, you know, amazed that I could meet with him. And uh, we actually had the opportunity uh, to go for a flight in the Lancaster last week, uh, which was my first time going up in the air in that aircraft, thanks to the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. And uh, we invited Bob along for the ride and and had a chance to, you know, hear some stories and some anecdotes. And that is just incredibly invaluable that we can, you know, we could put that into the game and, and draw upon that experience and his wisdom um, to just make it all the more authentic
1: let 's talk about how the game itself is planned to work. Give us kind of the the storyline behind it or or what you do in it
0: sure well we 're still uh early days uh in in its design development, but uh, we 've been working on it for the last couple of years developing prototypes and that sort of thing and we managed to catch the attention of uh, Microprose, which is a legendary uh, games industry uh, pioneer and publisher. So um, they have basically wanted us to partner up with them, and we formed Microprose Canada to fully fund and, and develop this project. So uh, at the same time, Microprose has a uh, game series focus on the b-17 flying fortress so they released uh, two previous games in 1992 and then 2001 and now uh, we are working on the the third uh, game in that series and we're incorporating valiant effort in with that so uh, i'm i'm thrilled that we have the opportunity to bring the lancaster and and the raf and the canadians into the mix uh, because frankly the americans and the b-17s take a lot of the glory so uh, I'm really glad that we can elevate uh, our story into that. But um, basically, to get back to your original question of, of how is this game going to play, uh, you uh, will basically en- enlist in the Air Force in the war, and you conduct uh, through the training of the various crew positions, because uh, you know, before Bob and, and all his crewmates got over to England, they went through years of training, and much of that took place in Canada Um that's a sort of a subdued chapter in our history, I think, is many, many air fields and airports in this country were set up during the war to train thousands of air crew who were then sent over to Europe. So we want to highlight that history and put that in there and ensure that players you know know what they're doing uh, when when they go on to ops. So once you get onto operations, your goal is uh, then going to complete a full tour, and you're going to go from day to day. Uh, with the historical sort of research put in there, like which operations were on which day, um, get a sense for you know what kind of fatigue these crews had to endure day after day, going on missions for you know hours on end, um, and the Lancaster primarily operated at night, so uh, that was such an entirely unique experience from what the Americans faced during the day, and that sort of thing, so we want to basically capture the feeling and the look and the the ambiance of you know what happened and Essentially, uh, learn from what it takes to operate this sort of aircraft. Uh, There were seven crew members on a Lancaster, from the gunners, to the pilot, engineer, the wireless operator, the navigator, and every player will have a role in in those seats. So I could be flying the plane, you could be dropping the bombs, and we could recruit Bob to help us navigate. Across Europe, so it'll be a, a cooperative experience, and we we are also are building in a virtual reality support as well, which is a, a tremendous tool um, that also the Canadian Warpoint Heritage Museum has been incorporating. Uh, in their space uh, with the uh, BBC Berlin Blitz uh, experience, so it's just it's an amazing time for technology. Uh, there's a, a confluence of you know virtual reality and photorealism, and also our ability to dive into decades of research and, and translate that into the game design. So this is just going to get us closer than we've ever been able to uh, actually recreate what happened.
1: That's amazing. We're talking with Andrew Spearin right now, who is a video game developer, has served in Canada's military, and creating valiant effort in conjunction with Microprose Canada. I can't even imagine. You look at the intricacy of what exists, and then you have virtual reality that goes on top of that, which would allow you to put on the headset and, and basically be immersed in the game that way. How long does it take to create... <laughs> A game like this
0: it, it ter- certainly takes years to develop games um, they're not unlike movies in that sense where you have many different disciplines, many technical aspects to it, and, and also the creative side as well so we're doing our homework we're doing all of our research that we can, and we're you know undergoing development now and and getting the opportunity to you know, fly in the Lancaster enables us to get that feeling that we can translate and, and make the game you know, operate the same way as it would. Um, but yeah, it's going to take us a couple of years to get it to the point where, uh, you know, it will be, the the exact sort of representation but uh, also games now take sort of a games as a service model where we we might release an earlier version uh, that people can play ahead of time and test it and and as we add content over the years we're able to extend it because uh, the Lancaster was just you know one of many different aircraft that Canadians served with Uh, the Halifax bomber is probably the most other prolific one that Canadians served in and I have a particular affinity for so I would love to get that in the game um, as well and we are going to be featuring the B-17 Flying Fortress and the B-24 Liberator as well which um, also served in in the RAF in more limited capacities but is still just an, another important piece of that history.
1: It's so you know it's so amazing to think that this is something that kids could grab and as you point out andrew you've got the ability to do it with your buddies and the way that games work now it's unreal you know you you have six people in six different households playing at the exact same time now you kind of put them on the same team and you think about what kind of teaching that can do while they're essentially having fun in all of this the the cost of doing things these days. You've got video game companies who will put out a game, hope that people buy it, and then use the money that they gathered from that game, plus a little bit more, to actually make the game that they want to do. How key was hooking up with Microprose? Does that assist you in, in kind of the cost of doing this?
0: Well that's certainly helped us uh, secure sort of a, a footing in in order to do this we we've been very fortunate that along the way you know we've had some investment from family and friends to just keep us puttering along uh, as a startup indie team so um but we've also been very fortunate we uh, won a contest here in Hamilton uh hosted by the downtown Hamilton Business Improvement Area, where we won a, a free office space for a year. So that's a tremendous help, and we're operating, you know, downtown Hamilton. And just saw the Lancaster Flyover office yesterday, and um, so that's a great help. And and the other uh, assistance we've received is uh, we applied for uh, what's known as an Epic Mega Grant, and we're very fortunate to receive some money from Epic Games, who uh, are the creators of Fortnite. So uh, that has certainly uh, been able to help us stay afloat. Um, but yeah, like I said, the, the arrangement with Microprose, will be developing and publishing uh, this game through our studio here in Hamilton and be able to build our team and, and have much better promotion and reach a, a much larger audience as a result.
1: Andrew, what an amazing venture that you are in the middle of. And you're still teaching while all of this is going on, right?
0: Well, this semester, actually, I, I'm not teaching at the moment, but uh, we have two other uh, professors on our team who are teaching there actively. Um, we have uh, a couple students and graduates. Yeah, we've got a really great core group that we've been able to build from from my teaching experience at Mohawk. And uh, I guess I could give one of the, the most serendipitous moments uh, was when I was presenting at Mohawk at uh, the Game Development Club, uh, and there was another professor from the 3D uh, side of the college. And he chimed up when I mentioned the Lancaster. So oh, my great uncle flew the Lancaster. And I said, Oh, well, what was his name? And what did he do? He's like, Oh, great uncle, Harold Florin, he flew, he was a pathfinder, flew Lancasters, but he didn't know much beyond that. So once I started diving into his war record, because um, he was sadly was killed during the war, uh, I actually discovered that Harold Florin uh, was the pilot who flew the first Canadian-built Lancaster, KB700, the Ruhr Express, on its first two operations over Germany. So uh, that was a huge deal at the time for the first Canadian-built Lancaster, which was you know built in Toronto, and they flew it across the Atlantic, and then it was deployed uh, to a Canadian squadron, and there was Harold flying it on the first two missions. And uh, I noticed on the operational records that he was carrying... Uh, cameraman with them, so I actually located the National Film Board newsreel of of that event, and there was Harold on on the film. And uh, Shay didn't know that; his family didn't really know that, and actually sent it to uh, Harold's little sister, who never got a chance to meet him because he died before um, she had a chance. But uh, she had never seen him in motion or heard his voice before until that moment so that was really just a a very touching connection that we've been able to have and now Shay is uh, our is our art director on our team so we have that direct uh, lineage um, to that war and we want to tell Harold's story and we want to tell as many of the uh, bomber command air crew stories as we can
1: and you're putting it into a language that a lot of young people will not just understand but will gravitate toward. Andrew, this is outstanding. Thank you for taking some time for us and good luck with everything. I hope you don't mind if we check in in the future and see how things are going.
0: Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll get you a copy of the game once we're ready to test it so you
1: can Look forward to it. Really like yep I don't fly planes uh I barely drive cars uh riding lawnmower mm, I've almost hit a house okay. so i I can't guarantee but I, I would love to test it out for you.
0: Well, you can be our tail gunner then
1: <laughs> i would yeah, you give me the uh the most basic job and uh, I'll be a happy guy all right take care of yourself thank you very much bye that's Andrew Spearin. Andrew is a hamilton based video game developer who had it in his mind, being in the military, all right, which direction am I going to go? Am I going to go to Afghanistan? Am I going to go to school? He ended up going back to school. But he has taken on the idea that we can reach young people if we can give them a story to tell and do so by way of a game. And listen to who he's been able to hook up with. Microprose, they've been video game developers for a long time. You know, you could be in your 40s right now. You'll remember Microprose. They were making games you were playing in school on computers that didn't have a mouse. That that was happening. That was Microprose. And then Epic, and they're one of the top video game producers right now. So, So this is good stuff. This is something that sounds like it has a whole lot of potential. Right now, let's talk about a very important thing that is going to be taking place and something that we can all get involved in. Please welcome the manager of Digital Creative Arts Center and the chair of the FCLMA, Mr. Mario Serselli, who I owe my career to. Uh, one of the, one of the people that I need to say thank you to as much as I can. Thank you, Mario Serselli.
3: Oh, you're too kind, too kind, Mike. You've done it all on your own because talent goes a long way and you are a talented one.
1: Ah, uh, not even. Let's talk a little bit about how we can all be talented ones and help out in this community. What are you putting together in conjunction with Lifespin?
3: Well, you know, the uh, the there's always a need in the community, Mike. And right now with the uh, the ongoing pandemic, the need is higher than ever. And as we head into uh, winter and and people are... Are struggling and uh, there's high unemployment. Um, we need to make sure that our uh, our neighbors uh, have the the appropriate attire for winter. So we're we're doing uh, an event called People Helping People, and it's a uh, winter wear uh, drive. So uh, if you've got coats and hats and mitts and and winter boots, uh, we can make sure through Lifespin that they get to uh, people who, who really need them, and the Fantastic. need is high.
1: And you know what? All we need to do is kind of look through garages and basements, and you can realize that kids are outgrowing things or things get put downstairs when you're, you know, taking the winter stuff out of the upstairs closet and, and they just kind of sit there. Um, these can go to people who can actually be wearing them right now. So how do we do this? Where do we take them?
3: So uh, Saturday with uh, local hip-hop artist um, Christian Buchanan, who goes by the handle of Typo, um they'll be uh they'll be performing at the commons which is on ontario street just steps north of dundas just around the corner from lifespan and lifespan by the way is an incredible organization really and truly doing great grassroots uh work here in the community helping those less fortunate in the community and and jackie thompson the executive director there is just uh she's a gem and so uh christian Uh, approached me and said we need to help people in our community and uh, I believe in what he's doing. So he's put together a great bill. Uh, FCLMA winners uh, Casper and Lola will be performing. Chase March, local DJ, will be spinning tunes. Uh, We are aware and uh, we will have uh, social distancing uh, protocols in place and we encourage people to wear a mask. But just show up anytime between noon and 4 and you, you you set the plate perfectly. There's lots of stuff. Everybody's got closets full of clothing and hats and coats and mitts that they haven't seen for a few years. And if people are like me, we put on a little weight during COVID, so there's stuff that no longer fits. Just drop it off uh, at the Commons on Ontario Street Saturday. You can take in some some live performances, um, you know, and just help help our neighbors here because the, the need is great.
1: Mario, thank you for spearheading this. Absolutely. This makes it so easy. And as you say, protocols will be in place. Everything will be nice and safe. And it's an opportunity for us to say the cold weather is coming. If you walked outside today, it didn't feel like it did yesterday. Didn't feel like this November swoon that we've had of nice warm weather. It is going to get cold because that's what it does here. So let's make sure everybody's accounted for. Mario, thank you for the time today. And thank you once again for putting this together.
3: Not a problem, Mike. And thank you, too, for putting the spotlight on local issues uh, in our city. Lord knows we need local coverage now more than ever. So thank you for everything you do, Mike.
1: That's what we're here for, and we'll continue to be here for that and more. Mario, take care of yourself. Keep safe. Take care. Mario Cercelli. Mario is somebody who just has such a passion for this community, certainly in the music world, but it goes every other direction beyond that he is the manager of digital creative arts center and the chair of the forest city london music association you've been listening to the london live podcast catch the show live on weekdays from one to three